Welcome to the San Diego Psychological Association's podcast, Diving Into Healing. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Carcel. This podcast has been developed with the intent to inform and educate the general public and providers and should not be relied upon for any other purpose. The content, views, and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the speaker and not those of the San Diego Psychological Association. Welcome to SDPA's podcast, Diving Into Healing. I'm the guest host for today, Dr. Devin Berkheiser, and I'm very excited about our topic, maternal mental health. Today, our guest is Esther Coleman, a licensed clinical social worker specializing in perinatal mental health. Esther is in private practice in San Diego, California. She was born and raised in Budapest, Hungary. After her own struggle with postpartum depression and anxiety, she decided to switch careers to become a licensed clinical social worker. She went back to school to get her master's degree at SDSU. While she has worked with a diverse population, people with a diagnosis of severe mental illnesses, her mission has always remained the same, helping those who are struggling emotionally and mentally during pregnancy and the postpartum period. She has been a helpline volunteer for Postpartum Health Alliance of San Diego and Postpartum Support International for many years. Esther, we are so happy to have you on the podcast today and welcome. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you for being here. And I'm really excited about the topic of maternal mental health, which you're going to be talking about with us today. Um, And so I wanted to just start by maybe kind of asking very generally, what does that mean, maternal mental health? And why is that something that you're passionate about working with? Yeah, so maternal mental health is uh, basically um, mental health that moms, women, may struggle with and that experience. They don't necessarily have to have a clinical diagnosis, but during pregnancy and the postpartum period is really that period in a woman's life when they are the most vulnerable. So uh, they are more, um, they're more likely to experience some emotional and mental health struggles. Uh, Becoming a parent is the biggest life transition in a person's life. Uh, so no wonder that there's so many parents out there who are really struggling. Uh, and the past couple of years during COVID, it made it even more challenging and more difficult for parents. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And I became a parent myself um, and was sort of shocked by all of the changes. And so many of them I felt like nobody had ever told me about and nobody had ever warned me about some of the things that I might experience physically and mentally. Absolutely. Uh, unfortunately, even though our culture, our world has changed a lot, but yet we still don't talk about mental health in the perinatal period enough. So we still in that culture where we tend to sugarcoat everything. We don't really like to talk about things like postpartum depression, postpartum anxiety, scary intrusive thoughts that often parents and particularly moms experience um, after they have their babies. So, um, And also social media, friends, families, um, we really tend to just see that idealized perfect picture of a new mom who gives birth, looks beautiful even on the first picture in the hospital with the baby, uh, just instantly feel bonded with that baby, knows exactly what to do, 
and her body looks the same just like before getting pregnant. So uh, this can be very harmful and it is very harmful for so many parents. And then when they actually face reality of parenthood, then it's even harder for them to deal with that because they are not prepared. What are some of the challenges that that might come up in the postpartum period for parents and and mothers in particular? Well, there's so many, but um, one of them is really that uh, motherhood or one of the most controversial um, thing about motherhood that is so lonely. It's such a lonely experience for moms. Basically, there's the newborn baby and... uh, and and you have to make sure that that baby is uh, that baby survives every single day you have to feed the baby every couple of hours that baby doesn't just uh, sleep uh, doesn't sleep through the night right and we also have this idea that oh my baby's going to just sleep as soon as i put the baby in the crib she's going to sleep just fine so uh, keeping alive that baby taking care of the baby uh is a lot of work. It's a 24-7 job. And uh, also because of the societal pressure, we think we as parents, new parents, we believe that we have to do it all, right? Like we have to be great parents, great partner, spouse, a good friend, going back to work, looking great, feeling great. So all that pressure that comes from all sides um, I would say that is the biggest challenge, understanding that that when you become a parent, it's okay to slow down. You have to slow down. And it's important to ask for help and accept help. And you started by talking about loneliness. And I thought that was really interesting because I remember that period in my life and I was rarely alone. There was a baby with me all the time. But it did still feel lonely and isolating because, you know, I kind of felt like there was nobody else in my family at that time that was dealing with the same hormones and emotions and and things that I was dealing with. And so even though I I wasn't often alone, I did still feel a bit of that loneliness and kind of the, the phase of life and what I was dealing with in that moment. Yes, that's why it's so controversial that you're with your baby 24 seven, but you just feel so lonely because you almost you lose your own self, your own identity, or or just questioning your identity. Who am I now? Um, mm-hmm. And then many of us do not have help around us, do not have family around us. In my case, or when I struggled with postpartum depression and anxiety, anxiety I didn't have any support, uh, which made it even it made me feel even more uh, lonely. So um, yeah, it's a it's a very lonely experience to be a mom you also feel lonely often because of all those contra- like seemingly controversial feelings like ups and downs one day feeling happy the next day feeling very sad uh, it, it brings up lots of guilt and shame in a parent mm-hmm. and uh, that feelings of guilt and shame that's all suppressed makes the whole experience even lonelier mm-hmm And so let's talk more specifically about postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety. What are we kind of looking for? How can someone tell if this is just sort of the normal ups and downs of parenthood or if there is something more significant that would meet a diagnosis of postpartum depression or anxiety? 
Yeah, so I think first we would need to start with baby blues because it's very um, misunderstood uh, among people, even among professionals. So uh, baby blues and postpartum depression. So baby blues is so common. Uh, It usually happens in the first week or two uh, right after delivery. And uh, it's due to the hormonal changes in our body. And around 86, 88% of women experience that. Um, and basically that's like when, when a mom is very moody in one second, you're happy the next, next, uh, second you, you're crying, but baby blues goes away on its own after about two weeks and postpartum, postpartum depression on the other hand, doesn't just go away like that. Uh, moms who feel, uh, depressed, uh, they have trouble bonding with their baby. Uh, they have difficulty sleeping. And that is a very delicate subject, right? When we're new parents, because of course you do not really sleep when, when, when you have nobody, yeah, nobody's nobody sleeping. sleeping. <laughs> yeah. But what we really mean by this, that let's say when your baby's asleep, uh, and you have an opportunity at night to fall asleep and stay asleep, even if it's just for a few hours, you can't. You're worried about the baby, uh, you're tossing, uh, you're looking and checking on your baby, uh, whether the baby's breathing or not. If you cannot rest at all when the baby's resting and sleeping, that could be um, a problem. So that could be a sign of sleep disturbance. Uh, changes in appetite really not 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 eating anything not feeling like even having maybe a smoothie breastfeeding or formula feeding um that can be also difficult so there's so much pressure on breastfeeding and then moms put so much pressure on themselves uh, as that's the expectations from society and that can also if a mom so-called fails because they experience it as a failure, uh, they can't really breastfeed, that can also impact their mood. Lack of social support, uh, right? If we don't have that support around us, uh, that can also contribute to postpartum depression. Um, I'm just bringing that up again. In my case, uh, that really played a role, why I felt so isolated and lonely. And unfortunately, some moms, when when they feel very depressed, they are even unable to uh, take care of their baby. So they're unable to get out of bed, unable to change the diaper. They feel very inadequate, guilty. There's lots of shame. Also, it's very typical uh, moms with postpartum depression, as well as anxiety, having those scary, intrusive thoughts. It's very common Uh, unfortunately, there's so much shame attached to it. Scary thoughts like harm is coming to the baby. Uh, What if I accidentally drop the baby when I'm giving the baby a bath? And these intrusive thoughts could be images, right? So I can actually see it. I'm not hallucinating. I can just actually, it's an intrusive thought, right? Like I can see it happening in front of my eyes. What if, as I, uh, I'm so exhausted, I'm so tired, and I'm holding, rocking the baby, what if the baby accidentally falls on the ground? So uh, many moms experience scary, intrusive thoughts as well. And I think, like you said, there's 
so much shame around acknowledging those thoughts or talking about that with somebody that you might feel even scared to bring it up. And then you feel even more alone and isolated that you're dealing with this scary thing and it doesn't even feel like you can talk about it. And you're probably left wondering, is this normal? Is this not normal? Am I a terrible mother? And all of those doubts that are going to come along with that. Yeah, lots of yeah feelings of guilt, shame, inadequacy. I'm not a good enough mom. Uh, comparing yourself to other moms, and uh, and unfortunately, it goes into that cycle that if a mom doesn't feel safe to talk about these thoughts, uh, these feelings uh, with their partner or family members or their OBGYNs or other mental health professionals, then then it can be a very lonely uh, experience and lots of suffering. Yeah. And I did a little bit of research in preparation for our talk today and found on the APA website that up to one in seven women uh, experiences postpartum depression. And so I think it's really worth mentioning that that's not uncommon. That's that's a pretty high percentage of, of people that that do deal with these things that are beyond just that more typical baby blues and that could meet the criteria for postpartum depression. Yes, it's one in seven women. However, during the pandemic, that number uh, changed. So one in five women actually experiences now perinatal mental, some sort of perinatal mental health disorder. So perinatal means during pregnancy and after pregnancy. So during during pregnancy and postpartum period. Uh, but yeah, it's not rare at all. It's very common. And if you think about it, um, how we talked about that, there's so much shame and guilt about, you know, I'm crying all day and I have this beautiful baby. What is wrong with me? Uh, I don't talk about it. Uh, So that's just the number that we know from women who reported it. Right. And who knows how many are just sitting at home and, and suffering in silence. But yes, it's very common. And that's one of the main mission of some of these organizations that you just mentioned in the introduction to let all parents know that they are not alone. Uh, they are not to blame. And then with help, they will get better. And I imagine that it might be difficult for some people to even recognize that they're dealing with this, you know, because if they're not sleeping, like you said, it's sort of easy to be like, well, of course I'm not sleeping. I have a new baby, you know? And so, yeah, maybe I'm I'm not eating as much because I feel really busy and I'm trying to breastfeed. I don't have time to to keep up with that. And so I wonder about what some of the challenges might be with people even recognizing like, oh my gosh, there is something happening for me and I need to get help. Yeah. So I think the very first step would be is before we even have that baby, just to be prepared for that. So there are all these birthing classes, right, that you can take online or in person in hospitals. And unfortunately, uh, still, they don't really talk about that. They talk more about what's happening during uh, labor and delivery and how to take care of that baby, how to change the diaper. So this would be the first step, first step though, to to talk about it, to educate parents on, on perinatal mental health. Um, another thing would be also important to understand, understanding the risk factors, right? So that's part of the whole education uh, and involving the family members and the partner as well. So if someone has a history of depression, history of anxiety, that would put that person at a higher risk for, for having postpartum depression and anxiety. If someone... Um, if someone has a family member who has experienced that, or even if it's um, 
if it's the person's like so during that maybe they is their second baby and during their when they had their first baby they experience depression and anxiety it's very it's possible that they're going to experience it again but let's say just to give you an example in my case it was the opposite i only had it with my first one i never had it with my second one even though i was at a higher risk for that and just to kind of prepare for it so prepare in a sense that how can i set up my environment environment to make sure that i have nothing else to do just resting cuz in other cultures not western cultures uh, really there's there's a village of people who are there to help the mom uh, she doesn't have to get out of the bed if she doesn't want to they cook for them you know do the laundry um taking care of the baby whatever that mom needs is important and and there's many people around them to help so i think one of the best thing to do is really just to prepare make sure you know who you can call when you feel down just have a trusted person a trusted friend who you can talk to about these scary thoughts about your feelings uh maybe when you have your baby shower instead of asking for another yellow blanket then ask for um so is gift cards to order food uh having freezer meals prepared uh and just having this whole social support set up as much as you can so you can rest yeah and i i think that sounds really important and i also want to acknowledge we don't always make that easy for people, you know, in terms of even just having paid time off from work after you deliver a child. Not everybody has access to to some of those supports. And like you said, there are people that don't really have family nearby, um, you know, and so I don't know. It, it feels like, yes, that feels really important. And there might be some parents that think, I, I don't even know how to do that. And so I wonder about... Um, the Postpartum Health Alliance of San Diego, the Postpartum Support International, if those might be resources that people can access that can provide some helpful information or guidance or support as well. Yes. Uh, yeah, unfortunately, you're, you're right. Like there's, it's almost unbelievable that there are parents who are expected to go back to work six weeks after postpartum because any of us who has given birth understands that six weeks after delivery you're not healed physically emotionally mentally in any other way and a six week old baby wakes up still every two hours at night so it's a uh, it's very very sad that in a way society uh, doesn't value parents enough to give them that time that they need which is so crucial uh also in the baby and parent relationship the attachment the bonding so and just going back to your question in terms of the resources yes so uh, postpartum support international they have lots of lots of free resources online uh, support groups which uh, is so important for uh, parents for moms when when they really feel lonely and and they can just log in go online and just be part of a a group a group of other parents other moms that are in the same boat or just going through something very similar and and sharing those experiences and supporting one another yeah and i we're lucky in california we do often get some paid leave in some states in the us there's nothing. There's no leave. And so moms might be expected to go back to work within just a few days, which absolutely 
boggles my mind having gone through that experience and I just it would feel so impossible and I think part of the the problem is that because our society isn't set up to support us we feel like oh I should be able to do this and if I can't it's a personal failing on my part I'm not strong enough or I'm not a good enough mother and the reality is no it's 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 not a personal shortcoming it's really systemic issues that just we don't have the support that people like you said in many other cultures do have. Um, and it kind of sets them up for success more than, than we're set up for success here. Yes. It's, it's the system that fails parents Mm -hmm. and not the other way around. Yeah. But I think it's so easy to take that on and feel like, oh my gosh, it must be me. I must not be doing this right. I see, like you said too, I see these moms on social media. They seem like they're doing great. (laughs) What is it about me that I can't keep up with this? And, and not only that, but even when they have to go back to work, whether if it's after six weeks, three months, six months, then there's the issue of childcare costs, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's like another layer of stress, financial stress that can, again, trigger uh, depression, trigger anxiety, or add to the existing depression and anxiety as well. Yeah. And I want to talk a little bit about, um, you know, maybe kind of different groups that might be at higher risk for perinatal mood disorders um, or just kind of mental health challenges, whether it be women of color, maybe families in the military. Can you speak a little bit about to how different groups might kind of be at higher risk or might experience more of these challenges? Yes. So military families, they are at a higher risk. Uh, Often partner is uh, abroad or on some sort of deployment. Often they have to move. They don't have that. um, They don't have enough time to kind of establish a strong social support around themselves. Often parents, moms have to go to the hospitals and be there alone and give birth alone. Obviously, during COVID, it was unfortunately very typical um, but military families go through that a lot and and uh, yes people of color uh, again it's unfortunately because of the systematic uh, racism the stereotypical thinking of even providers that they have the, they have this general perception of women of color that they are strong that they don't take maybe their complaints uh, as seriously as they would uh, if the mom is a white mom. Um, again, access to services, right? Uh, do they have transportation? Do they have just the financial means to to pay for those services? So, yeah, military families, uh, people of color, and also the LGBTQI community that are also like that experience uh, discrimination um again uh, simple things like this that transgender parents uh, are not called in a way that they would prefer to be called not you the pronouns are are misused and 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 all these seemingly small things can really make a difference and unfortunately can uh, really play a role in a traumatic uh, birth experience, for example, when when we are not being uh, sensitive enough or or, or culturally um, more sensitive enough than than with other groups. Yeah, and then I imagine if you have a traumatic perinatal period and then and or a traumatic delivery and birth experience, I imagine that would then set you up for ongoing challenges as you're recovering and in the postpartum period. 
Yes. Yeah, so when someone has a traumatic birth experience, or maybe they were just treated in a certain way in the delivery room by the doctor, uh, that triggers some past childhood trauma, or a baby is at the NICU, right? So all those things can trigger and and um, put that parent at a higher risk for developing some sort of uh, perinatal mood disorder. And if somebody does develop um, depression, anxiety during the um, pregnancy period or following childbirth, what are the options for treatment? What should people do if they kind of recognize, okay, this is something I'm struggling with and I know I need help, but I just don't know where to turn? Right. So, uh, yeah, so first thing is to recognize it and probably the easiest way to recognize it that you just don't feel like yourself. That's what most moms report. I just don't feel like myself. While they can, I would, uh, hopefully their OBGYN is trained or at least know about uh, perinatal mental disorders. Uh, unfortunately, there's still many providers out there who do not screen for that. And well, Can I jump in for yes. one second? Because I, I had a thought about this too, and I was reflecting on my own journey. Um, and I remember how many checkups my baby got. Mm-hmm. And then I think I got one yeah. <laughs> about me six weeks later, you know, and just the difference in what we're prioritizing and, and people that were even people in my life, well-meaning calling like, how's the baby? How's the baby? How's the baby? And really not so many people asking, you know, and medical providers not asking as much, how are you? And so I think it's just, it doesn't even seem like that's the main focus, you know, and hopefully people are trained, but I don't even know if it's something that is on many providers or many people's radar even. Yes. And thank you for bringing that up and reminding me to talk about that because that's the most important thing. When a baby is born, a mother is born as well. A parent is born as well. And you said it so right. Everyone's always asking about the baby, which is fine, right? We can ask about the baby, but how is that parent? How's that mom? What does she need? Um, and, um, and, and yeah, par- parents feel invisible. Like all of a sudden for nine months, I was in the you know, spotlight. And now I'm just in the background and I don't matter that much anymore. And in terms of the checkups, yes, that's why it would be so important that pediatricians would screen for postpartum mood disorders because they are the ones who meet the parents all the time, right? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, OBGYN sees you at six weeks and all they ask you whether what kind of contraception method you would like to use, right? which again is a whole nother topic, how I think as much as it's important, it's not the main concern of a new mom at six weeks, probably. So so pediatricians should be probably the, the, the providers who should be really screening uh, the parents and, and refer them if it's necessary, refer them to uh, mental health professionals who are trained in uh, perinatal mental health. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, if somebody recognizes this is something, you know, talking to your OBGYN about that, reaching out to that provider so that you can get the appropriate referrals and information, even if they can't be the ones to treat you, they can help you find the right people. Yes. And then if a parent who, let's say, just you just don't feel like yourself, like you feel like something's going on, 
you can always reach out to these organizations. If you're local in San Diego, then the Postpartum Health Alliance of San Diego, because uh, we have a list of amazing providers uh, from psychiatrists to therapists, support groups. And if you're not local, then Postpartum Support International, they also provide, like I said, online free support groups, but also if uh, someone needs to take medication, there are safe medications now uh, that uh, parents can take even if they are breastfeeding or they are just pregnant, not just, <laughs> they are still pregnant, um, and, and therapy as well. So there's uh, resources for that as well. And you do the work of supporting and treating parents that are going through this. And so I guess I think it might be helpful for people to hear a little bit about what the therapy process is, what some of the things that might be addressed and worked on in treatment are for postpartum depression and anxiety. Mm -hmm. So it's really case by case, but most uh, parents that I see, they always tell me that this is not what I expected it to be. Um, I feel down, I'm not happy, what is wrong with me? Um, and, and, and becoming a parent is a form of loss, right? Because you lose something, you gain something, but also you lose your old self, your old identity. You don't have the same freedom that you had before. And it's not going to go anywhere for at least not for 18 years, right? Uh, and it's a major adjustment. So as clinicians, our main, I think that at the beginning of the work is always just really to hold that space for, for that parent, just to to let them be, let them grieve and, um, and just be really there for them and hold that space. And um, another uh, complaint that I uh, hear a lot is the scary intrusive thoughts. Uh, also postpartum OCD is very, very common. So having these repetitive intrusive thoughts and uh, the compulsion is really the mental rituals, mental prayers. It's a, more like a mental, mental compulsions, right? So, so kind of like helping those parents uh, with those intrusive, repetitive thoughts. That's um, probably these are the two most common uh, issues that I encounter. With. I really love how you framed it about being a loss because I don't think anybody. <laughs> told me that or prepared me for that. You know, it was all about the excitement of what's coming and 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 the things that are coming up and really very little or no recognition of what I was leaving behind and and maybe some of this freedom or independence or flexibility that just doesn't exist, especially in those first few months when, you know, the baby is just so very dependent on the caregiver, right? As your children age, right. you can see those glimpses of, of freedom and autonomy again in small ways. But those first few months, it just didn't exist in any way, shape or form. And I think even just hearing that it's okay to grieve a loss. It's okay to say that I am missing some of these things, you know, giving someone permission to acknowledge those feelings to me would feel huge. Cause I just, I don't, I don't think people frame it that way for the most part. Yes. It's, it's again, because of that shame and that idealized picture myth of motherhood. Right. Uh, and, mm -hmm. and it's important to normalize it. It's important to let parents know that there's so many other parents who feel that way and that's very common and it's okay to feel that way. And it, and, and we have to process that. We just can't say like, okay, we talked about it for five minutes. Now let's focus on 
how to make you feel better and use these coping skills number one, two, and three. It's it's way mm-hmm. more complex than that. It's about identity. Mm-hmm. It's about finding your new identity in parenthood, your new self. Who am I now? Who am I today? Who am I as a mom? Mm-hmm. What kind of parent do I want to be? What does it even mean? What does that look like for me? And who is my kid, right? And what does this kid need? Right. And so even if you have gone through parenting before, you have a new baby, that's a different baby, you know? And so I think then having to adapt and adjust and and you can feel like you're starting from square one again. And um, yeah, there's just so many complexities and challenges. And I think ultimately it's about being compassionate with ourselves and allowing ourselves that grace. But I don't think that's very well supported for the most part either, especially with social media and some of these ideas that we have about, you know, just bounce back and and just be great at this right away. And um, you should be so happy. Why you have this new baby? Why are you not happy? Um, And it's like, well, because I'm terrified and, and I have no idea what to do right now. Yes. Uh, and then the newborn baby, we forget that you don't know each other mm-hmm. yet. That little baby is has his or her own personality, right? Uh, you have to get to know each other. Up until today, I still remember the moment when my 10-year-old boy, <laughs> who's 10-year-old now, was born in he was born in 2012 and I was sitting, he was a week or two weeks old. I was sitting on my bed, holding him, looking at him. And I asked him, who are you? Because really, who are you? I don't know you. So moms have to allow themselves to 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 ask those questions and, and also just to give yourself time and your baby time to figure things out, to get to know each other. Bonding, attachment doesn't just happen like that. Maybe for some, but honestly, for most parents, don't. It, it's a process. Yeah, I love that. And I think that often people have this expectation, like immediately, I'm going to fall in deep love and we'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> together. And the reality is, even if that happens, it doesn't mean that there won't be challenges along the way and that there will be hard periods and maybe breastfeeding is a struggle or sleep is a struggle or baby's doing this. And I wasn't anticipating that. And so even if I have that deep love and connection immediately, it doesn't mean that our journey is going to be seamless. <laughs> like as in any relationship, there are going to be challenges and some ups and downs, and we're going to have to figure things out. But we don't we don't talk about that. We don't. And we don't talk about how the birth of a child, how it impacts the life of a marriage, of a relationship, the dynamic. Because whether if it if it's going to work out or it's not going to work out, whatever happens, it's going to be different. A relationship will always be different after you had a baby. Mm-hmm. And it can be hard in a relationship too, because now all the attention, it's, the focus is on that baby. So sometimes um, the spouse, the father or the partner feels invisible because now the caregiver is focusing only on the baby, they don't have time for themselves, the same thing, they don't have the same freedom like they had before, there are no spontaneous movie nights, or just going for a walk whenever we want to go for Mm -hmm. a walk, everything has to be planned. So when working with uh, parents, I always like to kind of tell them that intimacy can mean anything like really it's let's let's broaden our uh, perspective. So intimacy can be that 
let's say dad what does the dishes or the laundry and that can make uh, a new mom feel so happy and make her feel so loved mm-hmm. uh, or just have five minutes together in the kitchen just to check in with each other so uh, baby steps literally baby steps acknowledging that our relationship is different now and it's okay that it's different mm-hmm. because you just you just had a you just gave birth to another human and and let's just give us some time to all of us to adjust also not as parents but as a couple yeah and obviously there's different makeups of couples and families and so um i don't want to assume that there's always a birthing mother and a father but i think anytime there's one partner who has given birth you know the other partner who hasn't done that just it's a different experience, right? All the hormonal changes and those things they're at play. But even if, even if, um, you know, if it's an adoptive family or there's another makeup, even if nobody has that sort of specific experience, I think how people come into the role of parent, it's just different, right? My experience of that is going to be different from somebody else's based on their family of origin, their expectations. And so I love this topic because I think we might just approach this differently. And so what I might need, you might not need. And how do we navigate that? And maybe we were on the same page before, but now we have this other thing that we have to kind of account for. And it changes our roles and our expectations and our free time for each other. And and that's then a whole other realm that people have to navigate is this relationship that is also changing. Yes. And and you said it, that we all bring something else from different family history we bring something else to the table right when we become parents and and attachment our attachment wounds really can really impact our own parenting and our own attachment with our baby and our partner as well that's why we're also saying like certain unprocessed childhood trauma if someone experienced you know abuse neglect as a child how much it can impact even if let's say it was just shoved under the rug up until now, but once that baby was born, so many things can surface and, uh, and each partner uh, can bring different things to the table and really just navigate that through and process it and, and understanding uh, really what are my needs right now? Why, why do I feel so irritated when my partner does or says this? What, what's behind that? What are the, what are my needs right now? What am I afraid of? What's going on? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I am curious from your perspective as, as somebody that provides treatment for parents with postpartum depression, anxiety, how long does it usually take for them to to feel like things are changing or progressing or they're kind of coming out of this? Is there a, a common sort of time frame that people can expect? Well, I wish I could say that there was a time frame. It's really case by case. Um, what we usually say, like um, what research shows and what we officially say that postpartum, the onset of postpartum depression uh, and anxiety can really happen from delivery up to one year. However, there's also people who experience it years after they gave birth, two, three years after. And in terms of the treatment, uh, it really depends on the severity. Some uh, parents uh, also choose to take medication besides from seeing a therapist, which which can definitely maybe help them uh, to feel better quicker. Um, It's really just case by case. But the sooner 
someone reaches out for help, the sooner that person is going to feel better. Thank you so much for sharing all of your insights and your wisdom about this topic. Um, I think it's really important to have these conversations and to let parents know that this isn't uncommon. Other people are experiencing this and there are lots of resources and forms of help available. Do you want to share um, your website and your Instagram with people? So if they're interested in getting more information about you, they know how to connect with you. Yes, my um uh, social media handle all across the board, Instagram, Facebook, uh, TikTok. It's Golden Tears Therapy. And my website is uh, goldentearstherapy.com. Thank you so much, Esther. Thank you so much for letting me talk about it. The information and advice offered is not intended to treat or diagnose and is not meant to replace any other professional consultation. If you'd like to know more about the San Diego Psychological Association, go to our website at sdpsych.org. That's S-D-P-S-Y-C-H dot org. Thank you so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and be well.